Welcome to episode eight of the one-to-one career conversation podcast. This podcast explores and learns from other people's experiences uh, from around the world to help you grow your career set further. My name is Chris, the host, and today we're meeting with Amy Rezik. Amy is a corporate sales trainer, professional image consultant, and owner of Sales and Presence. She has an extensive background in sales, and Amy combines effective sales strategies with non-verbal communication techniques to bring a unique insight to the art of relationship selling. Amy, I'm so glad that we can speak today. And firstly, how are you? I am very well. Thank you for having me today. Well, thanks for joining. So let's talk about your career today. How did it all start and where did it take you? Uh, You know, it started, I think, when I was in college. I have a degree in psychology and I did not know what I wanted to do with that. I knew I did not want to counsel. So I, you know, thumbed it along for a couple of years and fell into uh, an inside sales job. And as soon as I did that, Within a month, I knew I had my career and it was off and running. I love the art of selling. I love communications around it. I love connecting with people. That's really where it began uh, for about 15 to 17 years in sales. And as we mentioned in the introduction, you're now um, corporate sales and communication consultant. Can you just give a quick overview of what that involves on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, day-to-day is different every single day, which is what I love about it. That's part of why I loved sales in itself. There was nothing the same day to day. It was always creating and doing something new, but always connecting with someone. And that's exactly what sales and presence does today. So I work with individuals, companies to work on their communication skills, to uplevel their sales and their business. And then in January of 2019, you pivoted a successful career in finance and mortgaging um, to become a generalist consultant across all industries and specifically with with regards to selling. Can you just talk a little bit about what drove that change and why you made the change? Yeah, I had some personal life stuff going on. I had just lost a stepdad and my mom was very ill. And so I actually moved down to Arizona to be with her and to take care of her while she was going through things. And at that time was really my pivotal moment of what, what am I doing? What do I want to be doing? How do I want to be successful going forward? I had had a great sales career and it was going great at the time, but I was to a point where I was a little bored. I was traveling all the time, which is exhausting. Anyone who does traveling for, for any sort of business knows that it gets very tiring. So trying to figure out what, what I wanted to do next in my life. (laughs) And it was a great time within my life to figure out, okay, let's deep dive on this and see what I want to do next. And I had had a career coach at the time that I still have. And we started talking about what, what's next, what do I want to do? And it kind of just came from there. And then a lot of people, especially at the moment are having to change or maybe wanting to change. Um, And if someone is looking to pivot and change their career as you did, what sort of advice would you give them when making that change? Yeah, the biggest impact that I had was the communication and connection on really discovering who I was and not through what I thought I was, but who everyone else thought I was. So I would say if you're thinking of creating change or pivoting your career, start asking Ask everyone that is a mentor to you, someone that you've worked with for a long time, and just ask them the questions of what, what do you see in me? What values do I bring to the table? What am I really good at? 
really start deep diving into that. Also start writing down what are the things that come easy to you in your career, because that's the part that you love, and really start connecting all those dots to create your next, your next move. One of the quotes on your website, which I, I love, by the way, is that you have just seven seconds or maybe less to make a yeah. right impression. How do you think that people should make a great first impression? Uh, well, it has to do with not speaking, <laughs> which goes against everything that I think we're taught in business, right? So it's really, it's really a beautiful thing how humans connect and we don't give ourselves enough credit in how we do that naturally. And we're taught a lot on the business side and sales side in, in particular, uh, our elevator pitch and what our product is and why we're there and what we're selling and what our goal is. And we, you know, we have all these checkboxes on that, but all of that comes with uh, verbal communication. And so really that first seven seconds, you're never speaking to someone. You're walking into the meeting or to the, to the building, what have you. And that's your time. That is your time to connect with someone to say, I want to do business with you and you want to do business with me and let's connect and let's, let's build this trust. And so you do that non-verbally. So what are the cues then when you're, when you meet somebody for yeah. the first time and you think, wow, that's a great first impression. Like what, what's that person done? Yeah. So I would, I would say when you're thinking of this, think of all the people that don't create a good first impression because those are the ones that stand out loudly and that's what you don't want to be. Right, so you always know when somebody's coming in and they're completely disheveled or they're buried in their phone or they do not acknowledge anyone in the room, they'll just go get coffee, those types of things. And really take all of that and say, that's not what I wanna do and roll it back. And the meeting starts before you ever walk into the room. I think that's the biggest takeaway. We tend to be so busy in our mind that we forget that we are going into a meeting when we walk into the room. Not once we get our coffee and sit down and get settled. We've had up to 800 connections non-verbally within a 30 minute time span with a group of people. So if you think about that, that really allocates to that non-verbal communication and how we're really setting that tone. So some of the things that people can do then is make sure that they're prepped non-verbally before they walk into the meeting, just as they would prep their verbal side. And does it now, obviously the world is very digital, like we're talking over Zoom and yeah. three or four time, time zone difference apart. Does it change online? Not really. I mean, there's different things that you can set up. You know, you don't want to be very close to the screen. You want to make sure that you are um, waist up on the screen. Make sure that there's no distractions behind you. So those types of elements have changed, right? But as you saw with this difference in pivoting of how we're connecting, all these people who didn't do video before for work, all of a sudden do now. And if you would ask them before why they didn't, it's because they didn't like it. They didn't want to be on screen. They didn't want to see themselves. But we as humans in human nature have to connect so this is something that we do. So it took out that element of that scared factor, if you will, to say, all right, I'm on here. This is what we're doing. Uh, but it really doesn't change. You have different cues and different things that we release when we are face-to-face, -face, but it doesn't matter if we're in the same room or if we're over Zoom. We're releasing what's called oxytocin, what helps with connecting and building that trust. So there are different ways to do that with you know, like I said, you sit back a little bit. Hands are a big factor within the screen or 
you know, communicating with people live. You want to make sure that they're out and not, you know, arms crossed or in your pockets, those types of things. So often people do business with people they know and, and trust, and that mm-hmm. even applies to developing careers. And it was even also mentioned on your site that 28% of people have found or been referred for a new role through a network, someone they know. How can people become more confident and show more presence when meeting with new connections and building that up to get those future job opportunities? So a lot of that goes back to, again, making sure that you're prepping everything, not just your verbal, going into that with a good mindset. There are tricks that you can do, like the Superman or Superwoman pose, you know, with your hands up big, or you put your hands on your hips. If you're listening to this now and you put your hands on your hips, you'll notice a difference in how you actually feel and your confidence level goes up. So prepping yourself with that kind of thing before you ever meet with those people to really start engaging um, that connection. That helps with that movement forward. I personally hate networking of all (laughs) varieties. Put me in a room of probably 300 people and I will shrink and collapse into a corner, um, hide in the bathroom, find one person that I know and do my best to like super glue myself to their side for the rest of the night um, and basically do anything to kind of get out of that situation. If there are people listening that are the same, which I'm kind of hoping that there are, um, how can they become more confident networkers in a room of people that they don't know? You are not alone. Let's just say that. I, well, that's when good. I Yes. <laughs> when I started this uh, company, I also started a networking company where, you know, it just was to get my name out there and start connecting with people. And I noticed very quickly that people respond in all sorts of ways, right? The, the main reason that we do that is because we don't prep. Everything's about prepping prior to Right. So, so the thing that we do when we go in and we've all, I've done this where you go into a networking event and you're like, Oh my God, I just need a glass of wine and then I'll be okay. You know, give me like 20 minutes and I need to have a drink in my hand. I need to get settled. I need to figure out what I'm doing here. Well, if you just did that beforehand, it would create a lot more ease for you. There are three different main things that you can work on to really up level your networking. Cause the other thing with networking too, is that you aren't, the face of the room, right? When we go into meetings, we all have roles normally within a, a closed door meeting. When you're in a networking event, you might have five other people that are doing the exact same job you are there. So then the challenge is how do you become the one in the room, right? How do you become memorable? How do you position yourself correctly for that? And that's a challenge. That's really hard to do and it gets overwhelming. So those three things are your nonverbal prep, your gratitude and your goals. So your nonverbal prep before you walk into any meeting or networking event would be, again, to prep that, right? Making sure that you are, you can own the room when you walk in. So that phone needs to be put away completely instead of, you know, another kind of glitch that we have is to be buried in it, whether we are actually talking to someone or not when we're walking into a room, the safety net for us. So working on putting those safety nets away, which is difficult, but little by little, it'll get easier making sure that your hands are out and visible. These are actually trust factors for us. So as humans, way back in caveman days, we would watch people walk into our territory and see if they were friend or foe. They were foe, they'd have a weapon in their hand. If they were friend, they'd be open-armed, open hands, welcoming, those types of things. We as humans still do that by nature. So making sure that our hands are out and visible gives us the ability to 
create that connection and that communication going forward. It invites people in, right? And then making sure that our posture is up because we have power posing, which also can be low power posing. So we don't want to make sure that we are hunched over those types of things where we're not invited into conversation. So those, you know, power pose gestures beforehand with the Superman, Superwoman pose, those types of things. The other thing is gratitude. So prepping yourself with gratitude. What are you grateful for today? So a lot of times if we're going to a networking event, we've had an all day of work or we have, you know, family at home and we got it, you know, we're thinking of all these different things, giving yourself just a minute before you walk in and say, what am I grateful for today? Doesn't have to be anything that's going on in that room. Doesn't have to be anything about work. Just it could be that it's a beautiful day out today. Traffic was light getting here, those types of things. And remembering those things when you're walking in the room, because the fun fact about gratitude is that anxiety and fear has a really hard time staying in the same place as gratitude. So that lessens all of that anxiety for you. And then the last one is have, have some set goals. So the easiest ones to do is I am going to meet with and take three cards from people I don't know tonight. So setting yourself up for success. We do that with meetings all the time. We prep ourselves really well with that. We just don't prep on that, that networking side. So making sure that you're prepping a bit doesn't have to be as deep as a meeting, but making sure you have those goals, that intention, the gratitude, and the nonverbal all connected, and it's going to be way more successful for you. I'll take that all on board and yeah. try it next time we're allowed 300 <laughs> people in a room, that's for sure. So uh, you're in the business of creating, delivering presentations, whether they be virtually or, or in person. Can you provide a couple of tips for great in-person training and then we'll come back to digital presenting in a bit? Yeah, I would say the biggest takeaway for that is creative interaction. So whether that be um, engagement questions on the front end, questions throughout for engagement, making sure that they know what your goals are. So a lot of times we've all been in some sort of training or meeting where they just start in and about five minutes into it, we're like, what, what's, what's the plan, right? So making sure that your audience, you bring your audience in with you, right? This is an audience experience. It's not your experience making sure that you're very aware that that audience is connected with you and what they want out of it and what they gain out of it. When I open, I always open with some sort of interaction or engagement, and then there's questions throughout, but then also making sure that they know the timeline of the hour or however long it is, and, and then really what my hopes are for them to gain out of that, which is usually, I like the number three. So I usually go with uh, three takeaways that they can gain out of this, that they can actually use today, action, you know, action items that they can put into place the moment that they leave that presentation. And then letting them know too that I'm going to ask them what those are, what came up for them during that hour at the end. So it creates that engagement throughout that entire thing. So you're not losing those people as you go. Yeah. Have you seen any presenters that you think, wow, they're amazing um, yeah. present? Who are they? Yes. Like, I'm just yeah. intrigued. My biggest one always is Simon Sinek. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see him a lot on YouTube and things like that, but I have been able to see him live twice now. And he's one of just the most engaging people in the room, I just feel. And the reason why is because he's very down to earth. You know, he really wants to engage. He connects with people and he does storytelling and talks through his presentations in a way that brings you along. You want to be part of it. Right. So I think people like that really do inspire. 
yeah he he's amazing the way that he just talks to people and you feel like it could be a room of three thousand people and he's talking to you which is a real skill Um, it is a massive skill yes yeah. yeah and i think you know part of the reason why he's so successful in that is because he started creating um, this, it goes back to, he talks around, he was not all that happy within his career and people started noticing that and asking him that. And so then he started asking himself, what am I passionate about? So back to kind of the beginning of this, really honing in on what drives you and what inspires you, what makes you excited, uh, those types of things. We all have things within our business that are blah, and we can't get around that, right? That's going to happen. But really making sure that then you create avenues to make you successful in the things that are passionate and then people will follow, right? If you want those people to follow or companies to come in, they'll notice that passion and they'll notice that kind of inspiration that you have and they're going to want to be a part of that. Humans want to naturally be a part of something. So when it's natural to you and it's coming out naturally, then it's going to follow the other person that I'd, I'd love to see present is um, Gary V. I'm not, again, oh, I'm not yes. going to pronounce his last yeah. name. That's <laughs> doubly hard. But um, the way his style is so unique. And I, mm-hmm. I saw this unique video of him. Basically, he started and he started off like that. And people said, no, you can't swear on stage. And he, he was like, well, I'm going to do it. And, mm-hmm. and that's now become his, his brand, thing. right? His yeah. thing. So mm-hmm. I guess people have to find their lane. Yeah. But it's, also, it's relatable, right? So he, so he's so relatable. He's so laid back. He's not the CEO in the room that people who have never owned a massive business or company or sold businesses or companies, they can still relate to him. That is a huge technique to have and something that is really interesting because they're highly aware. So being highly aware of who you are and what your place is and not necessarily your title because title doesn't matter. And they're taking that off the table and then really being relatable to just who they are. So you mentioned uh, very at the top um, that you have a career coach. Um, and actually, it got me thinking, we've done eight of these episodes. And I think three, you're the third person that said I have a career coach. So um, I'm just interested to hear kind of what that person does for you and how their role is and how you find benefit. Yeah. You know, I feel like everyone needs a career coach in their life. Uh, I, I, consults businesses and individuals all day long, similar to what my person does for me. But the benefit is, is that we all individually have a really hard time seeing the forest with the trees. So when we're in the trees, it's really hard to see that big picture a lot of those days. And we forget things of like, oh, that would be really easy to do that. And there are some things that I see very clearly with businesses that I work with when I come in and say, oh, you just need to restructure this a little bit, or this, this will help you here. And it's, you know, it's something that just comes up immediately, yet they can't see it. We all have certain blinders on with our businesses or what we do day to day. So it just really helps keep those blinders in check so they're not too heavy so we can still see through them and be called out when we need to be called out. That's what she does for me. And so putting aside the career coach, um, do you have any mentors in your career? I do. I have quite a few. I have, I have a handful of mentors that came from the business that I used to do from corporate selling. Um, they're in operations, they're in sales. I, you know, there's so many that I've learned from along the way, um, what to do and what not to do (laughs) there. You know, I think that that's almost a bigger lesson. Okay. I don't really love that. So I'm not going to take that with me. 
Um, but yeah, I think just, you know, individuals that I, I hold dear to my heart and people that really have inspired me and really helped me, you know, they're the first people that I called to say, can I really do this? Do I really have something here? Is it just me being me with this? Um, and they, you know, they supported me and were real with me. And I think that those are, those are the people that you want in your corner to say, yeah, you got this, or that's a little, that's a little much, maybe that won't work you know, to really take that in and, and swallow that and adjust that and have them, you know, on your team. So, so it doesn't sound to me that it's a particularly formal relationship with them. Um, huh. I often I, I'll have team members or whatever, they'll say, I, I'd like to have a mentor and they want a very structured way of doing it. It sounds huh. more fluid from, from listening. Very to fluid. And I, th I, that's my personality more. So uh, I can be structured when it comes to deadlines and what we need to get done and those types of things. But when it comes to relationships, relationships are fluid, right? They're very much um, give and take. And that's what sales is too, right? And sales is also a give. Right? It's, now, it's not a take. And I think that when the more we learn about that with relationship selling and relationship connections and communication through business, your business is going to soar. Uh, but it's, there's a way to do that, and that's a healthy way that's still fluid, but not so structured. And it's on the timeline of that person. It's not on the timeline of you, which is hard to do, especially in sales, because you have deadlines, you have <laughs> quotas that you're meeting, right? So it's really hard to structure that and be okay with that. Um, but yeah, those relationships that were really big to me and those mentors for me were always fluid. People that I can still connect with today, which I do, and say, what's going on in the industry? What's happening here? Why is this going on? And then flip it right around and say, this is what I'm doing and what's coming up next. What do you think? You know, it's, it's a great give and take. Yeah. So you talk a, a lot there about relationship selling and what that means and how people can implement it. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what it, what it is? Yeah. Uh, relationship selling is, is just connecting, right? So we do a lot of communicating in business and in sales. And I think a lot of times people misinterpret communicating versus connecting. So if you think about all the emails that you get that are those canned structured emails that say, this is what we offer, buy now. That's communicating, not connecting. And so if we can take those and move it a step forward, you have to know your business and your products and all of those things, that's never going to go away. But structure that a tad bit differently so it focuses on them instead of you. And that's within the how of the structure. So when I was trained in sales, it was always, you know, we had quarterly meetings all the time, we had monthly sales meetings all the time, and they were always around, what are your numbers for this month? I'm sure a lot of people are going to say, yep, that's, that's my company. You know, what are your numbers this month? How many calls have you made? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you connecting with? Um, what are your sales? And then when we had the in-person meetings, it was always stand up and do your elevator pitch. If we had a new product, you know, sell the product. But it was never, there was never a how within there. It was always that end goal. It, there was never really a structure of how do you do that? And how do you implement that while you're really connecting with people? And that's the part that I loved about sales. And so I took all of that with the nonverbal kind of analyzing the room, my psychology side of me of really how do we structure that to make relationship selling a really powerful thing and that's where it becomes fluid because you it's you're not really able to do that in a really really structured way right if you have a client who comes to you and says 
I really need help here. I'm at a loss. That's what you want. That's relationship selling. But for you to be their trusted advisor on the stuff that you sell them, not, not just the product coming in. And that's relationship selling. Yeah, the trusted advisor is such a powerful two words. And if you can become that in any form of life, whether that's yeah. a spouse, their trusted advisor, yes. or <laughs> your your kids, and you, or mm-hmm. or in work, you've done a great job, I think. Yeah, and it's you know it's just being there for them. So back to your question on you know what is some advice for people who are really wanting to dive into that? It's really structuring your thought process around how can I help and how can I be there for them, and that how gets back to those you know touch points of what you're doing for that person, whether they're a client today or they're a client tomorrow, is giving them something that will help them today. So whether that is, hey, have you thought about structuring this for your sales department, or here's some tidbits on this, but it has nothing to do necessarily with your company or your product, that's adding value, right? And then that's beginning to be that trusted advisor for them. Okay, so I have some quick fire questions for you. Okay. When working with you, what are two behavioral qualities that others just have to show on a daily basis? Mm, I would say communication uh, on all forms. I'm a pretty transparent person, so it's what you get, what you see is what you get. So I, I really love that in return. And I think the other one is self-improvement. When we forget about self-improvement or wanting to grow, we all kind of grow stale and not add any value to what's going on within the room. And that self-improvement brings spark to others, which is exciting to see as well. Yeah. I think this is the time, and hopefully you agree, that times like this where you have a little bit of an opportunity to slow down, you can learn more. Um, Absolutely. yeah. 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 It's fun to see in a room, you know, when people actually are at a table and feel like they have a voice versus... we've all been in a room where nobody feels like they have a voice. It's night and day. So that self-improvement and that kind of discovery work that happens constantly when you're in a room that's allowed to do that, if you will, that's really inspirational and it moves things forward at such a faster pace than uh, a quote unquote leader just doing that or, you know, someone in charge or with a title doing that. It's, It's a group effort, which is, which is cool to see. It's a really great thing within business. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, what is one unacceptable behavior at work that you just simply do not tolerate? I would say any level of bullying or something along those lines where people feel like they can't come to the table, right? Even in in the line of feeling like they can't come to the table with one person, that person that's in charge or those types of things just creates a not healthy you know, group at all. And so I, I think that that's, that's something that I just would not, would not tolerate. And I've had it in the past, you know, when I worked in corporate, I love corporate and I miss corporate on some levels to some degree. Uh, but that, that's something that happens and it, and you, it really comes down to the group effect or the people in charge to create that healthy culture. And if you were witnessing that from, a, from an outside, how would you deal with it? No, I don't think I've ever turned a blind eye, maybe even when I should have. Uh, Yeah, you know, I I think the more that it goes back to that communication, right? The more we can communicate and the more we can call each other out in a healthy way, right? So uh, saying something doesn't necessarily mean saying something on a bullying level back to them, but really 
trying to figure out, okay, what is the best communication level here and how can we support you and up-level you to make sure that the group is safe too. So thank you so much for your insights, Amy. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I found it insightful and you've shared so many great experiences with the folks listening and I, I truly appreciate that. I will make sure that your uh, website is linked and uh, LinkedIn and Instagram and all of those good things from the show notes, but I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to, to join us today. I love this. It's been great. Thank you for having me. So you've been listening to episode eight of the one-to-one -one career conversation podcast. This podcast is available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and probably anywhere else that you enjoy podcasts. Hit subscribe to be notified of new episodes. Please also rate and review the show to help others find it. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the one-to-one -one pod. Thanks for listening. Bye.